G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. This is Leading the Way with pastor and international Bible teacher, Dr. Michael Youssef. You know, in the ancient Middle East, wedding feasts are inseparable from the wedding itself. Depending, of course, on the financial strength of the family, these celebrations, these wedding celebrations, these wedding feasts can go on for weeks. Jesus taught using what nowadays are called parables, Stories containing deep spiritual truths, packed in culturally relevant events or recognizable stories of the time. Some are difficult to understand in 2022, but as you dig in, you'll find them practical and life-changing. Today on Leading the Way, Dr. Michael Youssef looks at a parable especially rich with meaning, no matter what culture or century you live in. It looks at how weddings are a reminder that God the Father has invited his children to the Lamb's wedding feast. Dr. Yusuf explains this in just a moment, but you'll be amazed as you see it come to life with new colour and meaning. Let's join Dr. Yusuf as he begins. It is no secret that everybody loves a wedding. Wedding is a great and joyous celebration. The mother of the bride may cry, but still a joyous celebration. Psychologists say that uh, girls tend to marry boys like their fathers, and that's why mothers of brides cry at weddings. <laughs> A friend of mine says that uh, the reason people cry at weddings is because they have been through it, and they know it's no laughing matter. <laughs> but in all seriousness, if there is a one person that truly look forward to that day, it's the bride. She longs to be with her future husband. She has dated him for so long. She has loved him for some time. Now her life is filled with expectations about being permanently united with him. And and the husband-to-be has shown kindness to her. He has promised to be her protector. He has promised to be her cover. And he promised to be her spiritual head. And, And she can't wait for that to happen. He proved to her probably again and again during the time of courtship that, that he loves her unconditionally, that he will always be available in the times of need, that he will always be supportive in the times of uncertainty. It is not surprising, therefore, that the image of a husband and wife in an ideal biblical relationship is what the Scripture gives us again and again. In the relationship between God and His people. Throughout the Old Testament, the Lord talks about Israel as His bride. And then the Apostle Paul in the New Testament says that the church is the bride of Christ. That is a special relationship. But also the Bible tells us what happens in the book of Hosea, for example. Of what happens when a faithless spouse, in this case was the wife... What happens when she breaks her husband's heart? Unfaithfulness can work either way, but with God, it only can work one way. We, the unfaithful ones, He is the faithful, always. 
And throughout the Old Testament, God revealed to us again and again how He felt toward the unfaithfulness of His people. He has fulfilled all of His promises. He has fulfilled all of the sides of His bargain. He has provided for them day and night. He has protected them day and night. He has richly blessed them in every way. He loved them unconditionally. He called them again and again to repentance. But they kept on running after other gods. They kept on running after things. They set their hearts on things of this world and the system of this world. And they began to reflect the world instead of the God who loved them. And in the light of this history, the Lord Jesus Christ tells this parable in Matthew 22. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. This is a magnificent parable. This is a magnificent story. And in order to focus our attention so we don't go all over the place with this parable, I want you to focus on four different groups in this parable. First of all, I want you to focus on those who have refused the invitation. Secondly, those who have excused themselves from the invitation. And thirdly, those who made use of the invitation. And fourthly, those who refused the king's provision. Those are the four people with which we are confronted in this parable. You know, in the ancient Middle East, wedding feasts are inseparable from the wedding itself. Depending, of course, on the financial strength of the family, these celebrations, these wedding celebrations, these wedding feasts can go on for weeks. Guests were invited from all over the country and they stayed in the groom's father's house for the entire time. But the royal wedding, of course, is held in the palace. And the king always was very extravagant in his desire to please his guests. He's very extravagant in the way he throws this party. A royal feast obviously, is going to be the party of all parties. (laughs) I mean, it is the, the king's party for his son is going to make every other party look insignificant. And this particular party is given by the greatest monarch in the universe to the most honored guests in the eyes of God, those who have come to the Lord Jesus Christ. But when the preparation was completed, the king sent his servants out And he sent them to all those who have been pre-invited to the wedding party. The invitation was issued ahead of time. They knew that the wedding is coming. They knew that the party was coming. They knew that the feast was coming. And this is only a time of preparation. So they received the pre-invitation. So you can imagine when your name is on the king's (laughs) A-list, pre-invitation list, top list, And then when he got invited to the feast, you don't show up. Imagine the insult. How can such a thing be? (laughs) The very thought of turning down your king and turning down such invitation is preposterous. An invitation from one's king is the greatest honor imaginable. To spurn your king's invitation is a serious offense. Now, of course, back then and even now, there are few kings, if any, who are known for their humility, who are known for their patience, especially when they are openly insulted like this. 
So this king sends out another invitation. But this time, not only they refused the invitation, they had an excuse. They were busy. They went about their work. Look at it in the parable. This time, the invitation was more urgent. I'd imagine perhaps there was some imploring on the part of the servants, imploring these people to come. Please come. You have been invited. Come. Probably there's some pleading with them to come. The king is awaiting. But many of the invitees were cold and they were indifferent. They were selfishly preoccupied with their personal business. They were anxiously going about on the pursuit of happiness, which is no more than a fleeting dream. They were running around seeking a mirage when the real festivities and the real king and the real joy and the real value of life is only in the king's palace, in the Lord's house. I pray to God that if you're a person who has been hearing the voice of God inviting you to come and have been trying to silence it for a long time, that you would not silence it today. But then there was another group of invitees. They were worse than indifferent. Look at the second group. This group was far from being concerned about offending the king. Far from being concerned that they are insulting the king. They were themselves were offended. They themselves were insulted by the persistence of the king. And they were insulted by the continuous persistence of the invitation itself. And they act in brutal arrogance. They insult the servants. They abuse the servants, they mistreat the servants, and finally, they extinguish them. I want to tell you something. Listen to me carefully, please. I've thought and prayed about that a great deal this past week. I believe that in modern America, today, the equivalents in our day of those people are those who declare that Jesus is an illegal name to be named in public schools. They are the ones who insist that the Ten Commandments must be taken off walls lest it may make people think of God. They're the ones who would imprison anyone who would kill a rat, but then they say it's okay to kill a baby in a mother's womb. They're the ones in this parable who represent those who are actually hostile to biblical truth. And if you haven't met them, you're not living in this world. But I want to tell you what gets to me in this parable. What really gets to me is the persistence on the part of the king, which is an indication of his gracious patience. It's an indication of his gracious forbearance with the rejectors. I want to tell you that God, the time is going to come when he says enough is enough. My patience has run out. My graciousness has run out. It is time for judgment. Look at verse 7 of the parable. The king was enraged. And he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers. And set their city on fire. That word of prophecy took place in 70 AD. For history tells us. That at that year, there was a Roman general by the name of Titus 
who came in and killed more than 1,100,000 Jews and he slaughtered countless thousands of others throughout the land of Palestine. In Matthew 22, verse 8, in this parable, Jesus said, the king sent his servants to the highways and the byways. Go to the Gentiles. Which bring me to the third group in this parable. Those who made good use of the invitation, those who refused, those who excused, and now those who used the invitation. The servant's commission was to go everywhere to invite anyone who will come. And this is precisely is what we call the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. He told the disciples to go to the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of every nation. And the invitation is to whomsoever comes, whomsoever will accept, whomsoever receive him. There is no class system in the church of Jesus Christ. Whomsoever, rich and poor, black and white, old or young, whomsoever. Then there was a fourth group that represented by one. Among those who came, there was one who was not wearing the wedding robe. Now, this intruder who came was no party crasher. <laughs> he was invited. He came by invitation. But he came wearing his own clothes, not the wedding clothes. It is something like this, that everybody came in, wore a special dress, wore a special gown, wore a special robe in order to get into the wedding. That's their identification that they are special invitees. The king knew that all of his guests, all of those who have responded to his gracious invitations, they were spiritually poor. They were sinners by nature. And they did not have any royal attire. The king of kings knows that none of us, none of us, you and me, none of us have any righteousness of our own that gets us anywhere near heaven. He knows that all of your good works and all of my good works without Jesus is like a dirty rag in his sight. So he made provision for those of us who trusted his son, for those of us who come in humility and brokenness before him, for those of us who come in confession of our sins, he made a provision for us to put on the robe of righteousness of his son. But there was one person representing many. And I dare say there are many in the professing church today like this, this one man who came not wearing the royal robe. You notice what the Bible said? When the king confronted this man, this presumptuous man, who thought that he's going to get to heaven on the basis of his own understanding, his own plan, the Bible said this man was speechless. He was dumbfounded. You see, they refused to believe what the servants are telling them. But when they get there, they say, 
Now we understand. But you know what? It is too late. This man's arrogance was short-lived. The king found him out and he sent him out into the outer darkness. So I heard somebody recently said, don't ever joke about hell. Because there are real people who are going there. Ever since Cain attempted to please God his own way, ever since Cain tried to please God in his own terms, there have been countless of millions of people who have tried to do the same foolishly. And the day is coming when they will be thrown into the outer darkness and the fiery furnace. You know, when the prodigal son, the Bible said he came to his senses. That's another word of saying he was repentant and he came to his daddy in brokenness and in repentance. And he said, Father, I sinned against you and against heaven. You know what the father did? The first thing the father did is that he brought the best garment and put it on him. Why? Because only the garment of his righteousness can cover our sins. Only the garment of his righteousness can cover our imperfections. Only the garment of his righteousness can cover our rebellion. Only the garment of his righteousness can cover us from the scorching heat of sin. Only the garment of his righteousness can cover us from the power of false guilt. And no one can take that away from you. Most illustrations are imperfect illustrations, but they do make a point. And let me conclude by telling you a story that from an earthly point of view, hopefully illustrate what I'm trying to tell you, the point of that parable. In the Midwest, there was a little girl who was terminally ill and it was a matter of time before she was dying. She comes from a poor working class parents, but she only had one wish before she dies. And that was to shake the hand of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. She daily would dream about shaking the hand of the president. Until finally out of love for her little girl, the mother went to a local businessman whom she knew somehow had connection and told him the story and solicited his help. And the man told the mother, he said, as a matter of weeks, the president is coming here and I'm hosting a dinner for him. Most certainly you and your daughter will be invited. And that day came, drew near, and the man sent out the invitations and he invited the little girl and her mother to come to dinner. And he didn't hear anything. And finally he wondered what happened. And, but before long, he got a letter from the little girl. And I want to read part of it to you. The little girl said to the man, she's so, so grateful for the invitation. This was a dream come true for her. There is nothing she wanted more than to be able to shake the president's hand. But she could not accept the invitation. Why? She said, because my clothes were all tattered. And the pair of shoes that I have are worn through the toe. And I could not see the president in my shameful condition. The businessman wrote back and And he said, all that is needed will be provided. You and your mother will get new clothes and and new shoes for the president's dinner. And then he continued. He said, I will not allow my guests to be ashamed in front of the president. So it was at long last the little girls realized her dream of meeting President Roosevelt. A man 
like all men, who died like all men. And I want you to take that and multiply it a million times. How many of us really dream of the day when we see Jesus face to face? Spiritually speaking, you and I have tattered clothes and worn out shoes. Spiritually speaking, we have nothing that will qualify us anywhere near heaven. We could not in our own shame of sin and guilt get into the chamber of the king. But the prince came and he hung on the cross. And he died. In order that he might provide all those who submit to him. Not just new clothes. Not just new shoes. But his own robe of righteousness. Servants, how many of you have gone out and invited those who don't know the king to come to his palace? Those of you who know the Lord for many years, how many people have you invited to come to the king? Because you and I know that those who come to him like us will not be allowed to be put to shame when they meet his father at the wedding feast. But to some of you, this may be a piercing message in your heart. God has provided the only way of salvation, but you have not accepted his invitation, thinking that somehow in your own effort, in your own merit, in your own hard work, and in your own way, that you're gonna get there. But that's not the way God provided for salvation. He is saying to you, come in repentance, come in faith in my son, and you will be saved. You will come into the palace. You will come into the feast. This is Leading the Way. If you enjoy Dr. Yusuf's teaching, download the Leading the Way app. It's a great place to watch and listen. You can also stream online at ltw.org or find podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf, passionately proclaiming uncompromising truth around the world. Learn more at ltw.org. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.